Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. Mark chapter 4. Let's stand as we read the Word of God together. We're going to pick up in verse 35. Mark writes, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, and the he there is going to be Jesus, let's go across to the other side. In leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. Verse 38, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, and he awoke, rebuked the wind and the sea, and said, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father God, we thank you today uh, for just your faithfulness in our lives. And Father, I thank you for so many people within this uh, congregation that have been faithful in their lives as well. And Lord, I thank you for that just praise report we can share of, of their giving uh, and how you're using that to bring people into your kingdom. Father, I pray this morning as we have opened your word, you, you open our minds and our hearts to receive it so that, Father, we may better honor you with the very lives in which you have given us. We pray in Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, over Labor Day weekend, in 1935, there was the Labor Day hurricane, right? Back then, they didn't name the hurricanes like they do now. So it's called the Labor Day hurricane of 1935 that hit the coast of Florida. And when this hurricane made landfall, it's believed to be the strongest hurricane as far as wind speed goes that has ever hit the United States. The winds were at 185 miles per hour sustained. You think, I mean, it was a major category five storm that hit. Mark chapter four, Mark tells us about a storm that hits the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee sits in a basin, and so it's about 700 feet below sea level. And so when the cold air comes off the mountains, it'll often collide with the hot air, and you get these storms, and they're often storms that come up suddenly. Now, the fishing, when they would fish back then, the professional fishermen, they didn't fish in the morning, they didn't fish in the afternoon, because that's when the storms would hit, they'd fish at night. And so Mark tells us in verse 35 that this is the end of a day, and so it's all throughout Mark chapter 4 is one day that Jesus has been teaching to very large crowds, and now evening has come, and Jesus says, okay, we need to go across the sea. 
In Mark chapter 5, where we'll pick up next week, he'll be in uh, Gentile territory. But as they're crossing, Mark tells us a great storm hits. Now, we don't know the wind speed, right? We don't know if it was the wind speed of the Labor Day hurricane of 1935, but we're clued into some things within the text that this is a major storm. This isn't just a little thunderstorm, right? It's a huge, huge storm. Because what did the text say? It said some of the waves were breaking into the boat, that the boat was filling up with water. Now, I am not a great fisherman at all, right? I'm one of those guys, I'm going to put the bait on the hook, I'm going to throw it in the water, and whatever bites, bites, all right? I mean, I'm just, I'm not a great fisherman. I haven't been out on the water a whole lot, but I'm smart enough to know this. If I'm in a boat with professional fishermen, and a storm hits, and they're scared, that's a bad storm. Amen? Right? I mean, I'm smart enough to know that, even though I hadn't been on the water a whole lot in boats. If a storm comes up, and those huckleberries are scared and feeling like this boat's filling up and we're going down, this is a bad, bad storm. Luke, in his version in in chapter 8, says they were terrified. It's a major storm that hits. You right now might be in a storm. And what's that storm in your life right now? It could be a health storm, financial, marriage, you know, work-related, stress-related, anxiety, whatever it is. We go through various storms of life of various sizes. We sometimes have little storms. We have big storms. But here's why Mark's writing this to you today. And here's why I think he puts it right where he puts it. See, this whole passage is not about five ways in which Jesus gets you through the storm. No, no, no. That's not what he's doing. He's showing you this. The one that's in the storm is greater than the storm. Right? The one that's in it is greater than the storm. So the one with you today by the name of Jesus in your life Whatever you go through, he's greater than that. Because all through Mark's gospel, that's what Mark's doing. He's saying, who is this? Who is this Christ? And he told you right at the beginning of Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he said, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so all these stories that he's showing us about him casting out demons and healing people and calming storms is showing you that the one that's with you in the storm is greater than the storm. So let's pick up in verse 37. We see that this great windstorm arose. The waves were coming in the boat. The boat's filling up. Luke tells us they're terrified. Matthew's gospel is going to say they're afraid for their lives. And then as all of this is taking place, notice the position and the posture and the activity of Jesus in verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He's asleep in the middle of a storm that has professional fishermen afraid for their very lives. I think we need to pause right here and unpack that. I don't know about you. I don't want to skim over that. 
Why in the world is Jesus taking a nap right now? <laughs> right? That should be the first question we ask ourselves. Why, Jesus, are you taking a nap in the middle of all this? Well, let me ask it this way. What do you want Jesus to do right here? You want him bailing water with the disciples? You want him over here with James and John, you know, in the assembly line, passing James the bucket. James passes it to John. He throws it out. I mean, what, what do you want him there? You want him panicking with Peter on the other side of the boat? I mean, you want Jesus so scared right now that he pulls Thomas aside and he says, hey, Thomas, listen, this thing's about to go down and we got to lighten the load. Bring me Judas. All right. Trust me, guys, we're going to want to get rid of this guy sooner rather than later, okay? So just bring me Judas. Let's just take care of that. Do you want that Jesus in the boat, right? No, we don't want that Jesus, okay? We don't want that kind of a God who is weaker than the storm in which they're facing. But Mark shows us this, I think, for an important reason. Because what Mark is showing you, again, is the humanity of Christ. We're reminded about this over and over in the Gospels. That yes, he is fully God, but he's fully man. John says it this way in John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Now, this is the only time in the Gospels you're going to see Jesus asleep. Right? But we know he was fully human. He slept. He got hungry. He faced temptations. He got angry at the religious leaders. He cried at the tomb of Lazarus. He died on a cross. And here's why the gospel writers go out of their way to remind you over and over, he's fully God and he's fully man because he became man in order to become like us so he could die for us and he could save us. So he became man to become like us in order to die for us, to save us, and to help us. Right? Paul writes it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? I love Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses because he was tempted as we are, but yet without sin. So you have a Savior in whom Jesus is that you follow who says, I've been down that road. I I've been in those storms. I know what it's like. I became like you in order to die for you, to save you, and to help you. And I, I, I know those pains. I know those struggles. I've been through them. And so I think that nap is reminding us of that. But let's also go through it this way. Because the nap might bother us. Does the nap right now bother anybody else or is it only me? Because here's where I, I, I just... I have a little trouble when I come to verse 38 anytime I, I read this text, whether it's devotionally or getting ready to teach it. It's because I, I think about it this way. Jesus, you could have, could have not allowed the storm in the first place. You could have taken him around the storm. 
You know, take them in the storm. I mean, you're Lord of all creation. Why'd you allow it? Why'd they have to go through the hard time at all? Right? I mean, they didn't have to. You could have done that. I mean, you, you could have waited. You could have not let it rain. I mean, you, you got that kind of power. And, and here's honestly where this becomes a little more of just rubber meets the road type of faith. Because the, 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 one of the hardest parts of, of my job, quite honestly, of what God's called me to do and lead people, is I have to sit with families sometimes. And they've gone through some really, really hard stuff. And they'll look at me and say, why in the world God allow that? Now, sometimes I'll look right back at them and say, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why God allows miscarriages. I don't know why God allows a, a teenager to suddenly pass away in an accident. I don't know why God allows some people to get cancer and other people not to get cancer. I, I, don't, I don't know all those things. I mean, I, I live in a reality every day of having a son with disability that I fully believe in God's power that he can take away my son's disability. Snap of a finger, blink of an eye in a nanosecond. It's gone. I, I know that. But every day I wake up and my son still carries his disability. Every time we get woken up on a Saturday morning at 3 a.m. because he's ready to go to the Kroger grocery store, which he lives for all week long, that one grocery store trip, and he doesn't understand, the store doesn't open till 6. And Kroger hadn't given me a key yet. It'd be nice if they did. I'll leave the money on the register. I know where it all is anyway. But there I am with my wife at 3 a.m. till 6 a.m., Dealing with a fully grown 14-year-old having a violent meltdown in our living room. There's times I start to wonder, God, are you checked out? Are you taking a nap? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? When I know you got the power to take it away. I, I mean, those are the thoughts that run through my head. I don't know if they're the thoughts that run through your head. So what do we do in those moments? What do we do when we come to a text like this where we have to stop and, and say, is this good? Is this fair? Why would Jesus be taking a nap when these guys are fighting for their lives? Well, again, we've already identified we don't want the Jesus in the boat that's ready to get rid of Judas and bailing water, right? So here's what we got to do. We got to put facts over feelings. And we've got to come to God's Word and His truth and learn the truth of God's Word for in those moments, truth trumps feelings. Truth always trumps feelings. In those moments, you're going to get to, that I get to, that we've got to say, what are we going to rest on? It's the truth of His Word. And so let me take you to this. Let's go over to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be in Romans 8 for just a moment. We'll be back in Mark 4, so you can bookmark that. But in Romans chapter 8, I want you to pick up in verses 20, 26. We're going to read on down about verse 29. And I want you to listen. Because some of you this morning, you're right now in a storm, and you're thinking, has God checked out on me? Right? I'm going through chemo. I'm going through this. 
you know, I'm going through all these financial issues or whatever it may be. Is God really checked out? Does God really love me at the end of the day? And I want you to pick up in Romans 8 verse 26, where Paul writes, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, and we know that that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now I want you to look at me right here. When you are helping someone who is in a storm, do not quote them Romans 8, 28 and walk away. That is not a coffee mug verse. That does not help them at that moment. I have had very well-meaning people, we've had very well-meaning people over time, over the years, very well-meaning. Ah, they love the Lord. Tell us, you are the perfect parents for your son. God knew what he was doing when he gave you James. Romans 8, 28, it all works together for good for those who love the Lord. I want to look at them right there in that moment and say, I wish God would have probably picked some other parents. <laughs> That's not what I need. Here's how I help people in Romans 8, 28 at those moments. I tell them this. Listen, this storm you're in right now, I don't have those answers of what you're looking for, why God did this, and why God allowed this, and why didn't God do that. I just remind them, it's really answers at the end of the day you don't need. I mean, you, you can get an answer, but that's not going to help you, because you're just going to have more questions. But let me tell you what I know about God, because I, I believe truth has to trump feelings. When you need to pray right now, and you're not going to know the words to pray, don't worry. Holy Spirit's going to be right there to help you pray. He, he's going to take those thoughts and those feelings right up to the very throne of God. That's Romans 8, 26, 27. He's, he's right there with you. And then I'll take him to Romans 8, 28. And I say, listen, I don't know how God's going to do this. I, I don't. I, I don't know how in the world God's going to work out this. I, I, I really don't. But all I know is he will. All, all I know is over time, God's going to do what God does. And so that's, that's what I want you to know right now. And then I take him down to verse 38. And, and let's pick up in verse 38, he says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no notice verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'll tell him this right here, and I'll tell you this, no matter what that storm is today, you've got the questions, God's got the answers he doesn't have to tell you the answers, and the answers isn't really what you need to know. But what you need to know is this. You've got a God that there's nothing that's going to cause him to love you less. And, and that's why he really allows storms. Storms grow our faith. Storms remind us at the end of the day that, that we need God, that we're not in control, but that he's always with us. See, that storm as a believer in Jesus Christ, that doesn't define who you are. It's not the end of you. Who you are is one of God's kids. 
He's going to take care of his kids. There is nothing that is going to separate you from the love of Jesus that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mark chapter 4, we return back to that text. And I want you to remember this morning that there's not one storm that you will face alone. There's not one storm you're going to go through in which God is not with you in. And so they come to Jesus, verse 38, and they wake him up. And this question in which they ask, the way it is written in the Greek, it's really an, uh, an accusation. It's a strong rebuke. Teacher, do you not care? We are perishing. Jesus, don't you care? We're dying here. Verse 39, he wakes up and he says, peace, be still. I don't know if he shouted it or he whispered it, but he didn't really need to shout it. He could whisper it because all of creation is going to listen to the sound of his voice anyway. He said, peace, be still. The way it's written in the Greek language is, is really interesting. It says, be still, stay still. And I love that. He's telling those wind and waves, you be still and you stay still right now. Here's Christ with just a word, takes it all away, ends the storm. And then he looks at them in, in, in verse 40. And with strong words, why are you so afraid? Why, why do you still have no faith? I, I told Sandra there's, there's times within the Gospels I wish they would tell us a little better timeline of how long these things have been from Mark chapter 3 to Mark chapter 4. Sometimes you read that in the Gospels. They'll date some things, but sometimes they don't. So we don't know how long they've been following Jesus yet. Right? Has this been a year? Are we two years in? Are we six months in? Are we two weeks in? But we can know up to this point in Mark 4, he's already done some pretty miraculous things. So he's looking at him and says, well, are, are, what's going on? Why are you so panicky? Why are you lacking faith? Why are you so afraid? See, notice the formula of that. Fear pushes out faith. When you're afraid, you have that anxiousness and that worry and that doubt that pushes out faith. The antidote to fear is always faith because you and I have to remember this, that the one who is with us in the storm is greater than the storm itself. The one in it with us is greater than that storm. And then Jesus in verse 41 steps back and they're afraid and they look at each other and they say, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That is the question of Mark's gospel. Who is this Jesus? What they have experienced here is what we would call a theopony. Now, a theopony, when you run across that in Scripture, is essentially this. It's a visible manifestation of God's presence. Right? So this is more than just power on display from Jesus. Right here, they now realize, wait a minute, God is in the boat with us. <laughs> who, who is this one? Because God just showed up. This one, Jesus, he is God. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Something more has just happened that has shaken them than Jesus waking up and ending the storm. No, God has showed up. I said, who is this? And even the wind and the sea obey him. 
Well, the demons have already answered the question. Mark chapter 3, we'll see it next week in Mark chapter 5. This is Christ. This is the Son of God. And you and I need to remember something this morning as we end this text. That the one that is with us in the storm is greater than the storm. Because no matter what that storm is in your life, whether it be cancer, relationship issues, work issues, whatever that is, you and I, all of humanity, faces one storm together. And it's a great storm. And it's called the storm of God's wrath toward our sin. See, every one of us, because I've sinned, you've sinned, we all deserve hell, we all deserve death, God's wrath pours down upon us. But it is this Christ who says, I eternally end that storm on your behalf. And I'm not asleep at the wheel. That I came. I was tempted in all points of sin, but never sinned. They put me on a Roman cross. And God poured out His wrath and took all your sin and put it on me as the sinless, perfect sacrifice. And I took the storm of God's wrath upon myself. And then they buried me in the depths of the sea. Three days later, I rose again. And Christ says, now I hold the victory over that. I've done that on your behalf. And here's the good news about that kind of a storm. That right now as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't face the penalty of your sin, which is hell when you die. You don't have the power of sin over you right now. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You can fight against that sin. You can overcome that sin. And one day, there is no storms in heaven for all of eternity. No more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more storms, no more sorrow. Because who is this? It is Christ, the Lord in whom we worship, who is in a storm with us, but is greater than any storm we will ever face. Amen? I want to thank you so much for watching today's message. And I want to simply ask you a question. Is there a time in your life that you have given your life to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you come to know Him? Now, you might say, well, I know Jesus. I've heard about Him. I mean, you just preached about Him. I've been in church before, but that's not the question I'm asking you. Is there a time that you have given your life over to Jesus, where you have invited Him in your life and simply said, Jesus, you now are the Lord and Savior of my life? I like to explain it this way. Have you given Him the username and password of your life? Does He have access to all accounts in your life? See, the Bible says that we need to place our faith and our trust in Jesus in order to be saved, in order to have our sin forgiven, have a relationship with God now, and to be in heaven with God throughout all of eternity. We need to trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. Now, you today may be ready to do that, but you say, I, I don't know how to do that. How do I place my faith and trust in Jesus? Well, the Bible says this, that we call out on the name of the Lord. I love what Romans chapters 10 in verse 13 says. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when it says call on the name of the Lord, you know what that means? Just to pray. To say, you know what? I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And maybe you're watching this and say, I, I don't know how to pray. I, I've never done that. Well, I want to invite you to follow along with me. And if it's on your heart and your mind today to say, I'm ready to be a Christian, 
I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life, then I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me. And so just right where you are, you can call out to Him and simply say something like this. Dear God, today I call out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I place my faith and my trust in Him to be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me life forever with you, God. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, friend, if you've prayed with me today, no matter where you are, we'd love to follow up with you. You can simply go to heightschurch.org connect. That's going to take you to our website. Right there on the website, you click decision. And you let me know you've made that decision, that you've prayed that prayer with me. I'm going to be in touch with you. That information is going to come right to me and we'll help you take your next step of faith. And so thank you for watching today. I encourage you to subscribe to our Facebook page and our YouTube page so you stay current with all of our digital content. If you're ever in our area, we'd love to see you in person at a service at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So till we see each other again, God bless.